As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good morning. Welcome to SawCast number 029. My name is John Stryker-Meyer. I'll be your host today. And of course, this is production of our interviews with SOG veterans who served in the Secret War during the Vietnam War is brought to you courtesy of Jocko Willink Productions and SOG Chronicles. Now, I have to start out on a personal note today. When I was at CCN in 1969, my mother wrote me a letter. She said, Johnny, you know, remember little Tommy Waskovich? He's, uh, he's in Vietnam, just like you. He's a Green Beret, just like you. But what my mother didn't know and what the rest of America didn't know was that Tom and I were at different bases fighting in the Secret War. It's my honor and pleasure today to introduce and bring the sawcast number 029, Tom R. Waskovich. Tom, welcome to the show, brother. Well, thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. And it's amazing that uh, I don't think most people know that we've known each other since we were nine years old. And the meeting that we finally did get together. As Green Berets. Uh, as Green Berets was in House 10, or Secret Safe House. On the stairway? On the stairway. <laughs> Had a little too much to drink that night. I, th- I think you did. I was going up. You were coming down. Tilt! <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah. Tom, what are you doing here? And um, on it went. So, uh, And I forget if I have had the letter from my mother. Yeah, I had yeah. to get the letter. But anyways, and that was other than the time I met you in your kitchen in Trenton, New Jersey, Delivering milk to you. Yeah, that's when we, we, yeah. we were little guys back then. That's right, we were little guys. My dad was a milkman, and Tom's family was one of our biggest customers. Nine years old. Jeez. Um, amazing, just amazing. And here we are. Here we are today. Go figure. And so, um, you know, uh, for background, for our purposes here, uh, you entered the Army and wound up at CCC in Contoon. That's correct. And I think because of our stories, we just got to get into your story and I was fascinated by your very first mission. So you landed in Vietnam. It was a Ben Head around January 1st, yeah. 1969. That's correct. Take it from there because uh, you got into action pretty quick. I sure did. You know, the, the whole thing was like uh, watching somebody else's story, you know. Uh, 
you know, I, I joined the Army. I wanted to be a paratrooper. And uh, I went to basic training. And they had this thing. This guy came out in a green beret and talked about you should be joining the Special Forces if you can do this and this. So, I, yeah, sounds good. So I did that. And anyway, uh, after basic and AIT, uh, I went to infantry officer candidate school. I was 18 years old, as a teenager. And then went to jump school and then went to the special forces officers course when I was 19. Still a teenager. Whoa, yeah, Can course. you believe it? Yeah. And then uh, I turned 20, and two months later, I'm in Vietnam, well, Ben Het, uh, yeah. for a couple of days, and then CCN, they, they didn't need anybody, so it says now it's CCC. And two and a half weeks, I'm on RT Wyoming. Oh. And uh, as a one two, we're training for a few days. And we go out to the field, RJT, you know, no, no one zero school, no. OJT, you know? Yeah, and, indeed. And so uh, that was kind of strange. Uh, I happened to be very fortunate in that our one zero was John Davidson, and the one one was uh, Craig Davis, two outstanding uh, oh, soldiers, yeah. outstanding recon guys, uh, especially Davidson. He was just a terrific one zero. And I was very fortunate to be with that team, but. You know, starting out as the one-two, I humped the radio, and uh, there's nothing <laughs> like that prick 25 on your back to uh, bring you down to earth, literally. And your extra battery. Yeah, yeah. your extra battery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. So anyway, we were, we're off and running. We're inserted. We're supposed to try and find a uh, uh, an NVA bivouac area. So you're on RT Wyoming. Yeah. I'm okay. The, I'm the one-two. I'm humping the radio. John's the one-zero. Craig's the one-one. And uh, we're... Uh, going towards our target and uh, we finally get to the road we're supposed to watch we don't know where the bivouac area is though but we're watching and uh, some of the yards here them talking about where this bivouac area is miles down the road yet so uh, anyway as we're watching we're pretty close you know to 15 feet from the road and uh, my first thought when we lined up there I saw a guy going by and I'm ready to shoot him and Davidson's <laughs> No, 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 don't do that. So, oh, okay. What, what do I know? You know, you see, yeah. you see a bad guy, you're going to shoot him. Uh, and I'm good then, because as he goes by, then another goes by, another goes by, another goes by. <laughs> it was a parade. Lost, yeah, I lost, lost, lost count of the, the parade after that. Oh, my God. But uh, anyway, Davidson was a wise, wise one zero. <clears throat> and uh, anyway, throughout this uh, morning, uh, one of our yards must have rustled or something because they heard us. And uh, they start looking towards the brush, and we say, okay, we better get out of here. So we start deeding, going, going, you know, going back the way we came. And then you hear three signal shots, and then the chase is on. Whoa. And uh, uh, we start out, and we can hear them behind us. Uh, and they're not that, well, they're, they're not that close yet. We can just hear the noises. Anyway, we, we- And you're in double, triple canopy? Uh, no, at this point, it was probably single broken okay. by the road. Right. But as we went further in, then it, deeper. it got deeper, you know. And uh, anyway, these guys are in back of us, and they're in back of us all day. And the yards tell us they got dogs. Yeah, I couldn't hear them, but they, they could hear them. So anyway, they're, they're, they're chasing us, you know. And uh, chase us throughout the day. And uh, that night, we finally, you know, stop when it gets dark, and they stop. So uh, John Davidson, he breaks out his green hornets and passes them out. And we're all beat, you know, by then. But oh, yeah. We take the green hornets, and boy, just like that, you're wide awake. 
And the green hornets are, uh, what do they call them? Like amphetamines? Uppers, amphetamines, yeah. yeah. De- Legal amphetamines. amphetamines or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but boy, they, we were awake all night and uh, with no problem having to, you know, fall asleep. But anyway, next morning, first light, we're, we're out again and they're, they're after us again. And uh, so uh, John tells me to call in, see if we can get some air support. And in the meantime, they're chasing us, and uh, uh, we're doing everything to, we can to get rid of them. Uh, John decides to wade into a stream, and we stay in the stream up to our, you know, waists. Really? For like, yeah, for like, uh, I don't know, a quarter mile. And uh, then we get out, and the damn people, they're still behind us. The, the dogs, I guess, didn't lose the scent. So then we finally uh, put some uh, CS powder down, and that seems to work. We don't hear any problems hear any dogs anymore but the bad guys are still coming and uh so anyway it's uh later in the day and uh um uh, i finally get uh air on the radio and they're ready to do a strike and uh so i give my location i tell them the the direction i want them to come in so when they drop it it doesn't get hung up and end up on our position right so i have a perpendicular or whatever so anyway, they come in and they, uh, I think it was a spad, and they dropped CBU. And that just took care of any pr- pursuit. Uh, wow. at, the, at the same time, uh, we had transmitted about the uh, bivouac area. So they had inserted a hatchet for us uh, with, with us. And uh, so we decided to go towards the coordinates where we thought the bivouac area was. And uh, we started heading that direction. And uh, our recon team is the point. And it's uh, our yard uh, point man, and then Davidson, and then me with the radio, and then another yard behind me. And we get to this high-speed trail. We look, two bad guys, bang, 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 bang. We, we, we all fire at the same time, and we all shoot the guy in the right. There's two of them coming down the road. We all shoot the guy in the right. Nobody shoots the guy in the left. And he's like that <laughs> comic book character, the Flash. I mean, he's gone. You couldn't even see his elbows. He was so fast. So anyway, uh, we go up and uh, form a perimeter around the, the poor dead guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, John uh, takes his, uh, his rifle and uh, he's a sack that he's carrying. He takes that. I'm going through his pockets and I find this like plastic sheet and all these tiles. And the tiles all have Chinese markings on them. So I said, what the hell is this? Maybe these are the units that are all in yeah, this area, this yeah, bivouac yeah. area. So this is good stuff. So we... we transmit what we got and they decided to uh to yank us and uh so anyway we we uh we come out and uh uh get back to uh, camp they sent all the stuff to saigon and uh, a couple days later i grabbed yes too and said well what's going on we haven't heard anything back about uh you know this guy we whacked and what he was carrying and stuff he said well tom i got some good news and bad news he said, well, <laughs> well, all right what's the bad news he said, well, you know the tiles you have with all the Chinese markings you thought were units? I said, yeah. He said, what was a Mahjong set? <laughs> so what? What's a Mahjong What's set? a Mahjong? I, never, I don't know what yeah. a Mahjong set. <laughs> so anyway, that was a little disappointing to say the least. Oh, my God. But, but the, good the good news was the sack was a mail sack and was full of mail and uh, intelligence. That good they, intel. Good intel. So it was uh, you know, a worthwhile first, so first let- mission. Let me take you back to your first airstrike then, because 
you weren't in contact yet. You knew your you were they were on you. Yeah. So did you direct your attack gear after a shiny? Because you couldn't yeah. pop a smoke. No. Yeah. Exactly. Well, that's part of, yeah, that's part of your clandestine Absolutely. There. You know, uh, popping a shiny. That's how we. You know, I never knew where the hell I was at. <laughs> that's why. That's why the bad guys couldn't find me because if I didn't know where I was at, how they were, where were they going to know where, where I was at? <laughs> anyway, that's what both, as you know, most recon yeah. teams they pop the shiny little hole in the center of the mirror and you. But for our listeners, in. that's what that's a key part yeah, of that because absolutely. you're there. And your shiny contacts you with with the, the Covey or or Ford Air Controller, yes, yeah, Spaff, and then they connect yeah. you with the air asset. Yeah, and the Spaff or the Covey or whatever happens, but knows your location then. Oh yeah. So it's just a case of putting them on target and telling them what the direction of approach is. So uh, that was basically it. And uh, very modest, but that's a, that's a key part of the game, sir. Oh, absolutely. Indeed. You know, uh, you, know you I can't tell you how powerful you feel. When you're calling them the spads, or you're calling it F4s, or you're calling it helicopter gunships, oh yeah, there's a little bit of uh, euphoria involved with that, you know. And uh, yes, my God, what can I do with Particularly these guys? when they're trying to kill you? Yeah, and you end up killing them. First. How good is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we get back and uh, uh, they send me out for uh, uh, another mission to try and find a, a truck park at a target called Juliet Nine. Oh, it's one of the worst targets for Pontoon. Absolutely, Pontu. absolutely. And they had made So me, are you strap hanging now? No, no, they made me a one zero now. I'm one zero. After one mission, you're yeah. a one zero. RTC. Yeah, oh. John thought I did a good job, so he pushed me up. <laughs> and uh, I learned fast, I learned Whoa. well. You are a fast learner. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. So anyway, uh we go out Juliet nine. So you're and on RT South Carolina. I'm the one zero. I just want to keep it all. Right. My one one is Carlos Parker. Oh, wow. And, okay. I uh, know his name. Yeah. I never met him. <laughs> I, I just talked to him two days ago. His 87th birthday. No. Yeah. He, just a diverse. Sure, of course. A little bit. Uh, after I after I left uh, South Carolina, Carlos took over as the 1-0, and he was out on a hatchet force mission and must have stepped on a toe pumper and blew his leg off. Ooh. And uh, he was one of the very first uh, SF guys to stay in the service with a prosthetic. And he made parachute jumps with his prosthetic. And uh, Really? Yeah, he ended up uh, uh, retiring as a sergeant major and then worked as a civilian for uh, SOCOM after that. So he's a real wow. hardcore, tough guy. And uh, What a character. Just, uh, just uh, you know, enjoyed talking to him. But anyway, getting back, uh, Carlos is my 1-1, one, one, and a guy by the yeah. name John St. Morton is my 1-2, uh, oh, really? you know, John? <laughs> oh, of course. Okay, so <laughs> anyway, uh, I also heard from many of our one zeros that when you give your briefing on what you're going to do, don't give them the real LZ that you're going to be inserted on. You're dealing with that too. Right. right. You do your VR, your visual yeah. recon, you pick out the real LZ you want, and then you pick out one that you looks good but is you're not going to use and that's when you report that you're going to use right and then you pick an alternate and the reason why we're doing that is for security for the team we, we had security problems major security problems that we assume came from headquarters once they got the accurate exactly we found out years later uh that we had a mole uh in sog headquarters uh, a guy by the name of Francois who was discovered by Speedy Gaspard, Indeed. our mutual friend. But that's a, that's another story. But anyway, uh, I picked out a, a really tight LZ way in the back of Juliet 9. 
and then gave another LCS when I was being inserted in. Anyway, we were inserted without a problem, and uh, my mission was to find a truck part. And uh, anyway, snooped and pooped and did what you were supposed to, uh, like three days and four days, and no problems. And then we think we hear people in back of us, so it's starting to get a little bit hairy. And anyway, we get to this uh, uh, area where this truck park's supposed to be. Pull the bushes aside. I see this bunker with an aperture. <laughs> so, oh, an aperture? Yeah. yeah in the bell, oh, in the yeah. Budget. So, oh, shit, what do I do now? We think we got people in back of us. There's the truck park. I don't see any activity, though, so, well, let's go. So I send <laughs> a yard on each side, and Carlos covers the aperture, and I go down the middle. I've got my car 15. Like, you know, if anybody opens up, I'm, I'm, I'm a dead man. And yeah. We probably all are, so it didn't make any difference at that point. Anyway, like long story short, that bunker was empty, and it turned out to be this truck park. And uh, I don't think a lot of people realized back then the methodology that the NVA used. And they had these truck parks set up like every 20 uh, kilometers. Right. And along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. All along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And it wasn't a case where 90 trucks went all the way down the Ho Chi Minh Trail. They went six trucks at a time from, from depot to depot. And this was one of the first ones that I think was actually reported on because it was empty. We went through there. And there's these six large holes that were excavated by uh, machinery that a truck could drive into. So when it was at the bottom, it was flush with the top. Wow. So if there were any uh, airstrikes yeah. involved, it wouldn't damage the trucks. And they had all these, uh, you know, I don't even know how to describe them, like little bamboo huts with uh, little, like, um, hammocks and stuff in them for the, sure. for the troops. Where, yeah. Yeah, and there's that leftover toothpaste tubes and <laughs> rice bags and stuff no all kidding. over yeah so anyway we were probably one of the first to photograph and be in one of these truck parks yeah that were all along the trail and it was probably maybe 100 150 people that manned these things uh, as best we could tell but anyway we were extracted after that and it was uneventful other than that, we did discover this uh, setup that I don't think any, not too many people. No, had, I never heard that had, one had before. Seen, seen by then, particularly with them going down to like a yeah, like a, drive right in. <clears throat> you know, wow, ha half a dozen of them, and uh, like the bin trans. Yeah, right? yeah, and then yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, that's what uh, how they protected their trucks and moved from you know station to station. Because by that time, the NVA moving their supplies and troops south, they had their methodologies, and that's that confirms it. Absolutely. Because before that, like you said, we thought there would be longer convoys, Absolutely. and they weren't by 69. Absolutely. And there's your answer to the question. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons we had wow. that mission was to try sure. to locate that and, and discover what it was. But uh, so anyway. your first mission as a 1-0 is a complete success. Yeah, yeah. And then I went to the uh, next one, and I had a mission to, uh, again, I think it was Juliet 9, plant a mine in the uh, Ho Chi Minh Trail there. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that one, guys. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> so, Julia 9, just for so our listeners, that it was the hottest target Absolutely. in the Contum AO. Absolutely. For CCC no doubt at that time. And, and the first one was a dry hole. We got, you know, got in. That's just we amazing. Find. Second one was not so fortunate. Anyway, it had a vehicular mine. It had a plant in the, the big ones, trail. Like, yeah. 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 So, uh, <laughs> anyway. So, we, who carried your vehicular mine? I think I carried it uh, at that point. <laughs> 
but uh, you know, I'm not going to give it to one of my little guys to carry no. it. And the other one guy, you know, uh, Martin's got the radio, and Carlos sure. is a little guy, so who's that leave? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, long story short, we get there, we get get on the trail, looking out, go out there, dig a hole, plant the mine, cover it all up. Yeah, and uh, then I pull my guys back, and we set up an ambush a little ways away. So if somebody comes and drives over the mine. Boom, we can get a POW. Grab, yeah, get a POW. So uh, <clears throat> we lay up you know, on the side of the road there, and we clear out a little spot so the twigs won't break if we're laying there, if we won't rustle around. So anyway, we're all there a couple hours, nothing happens. So uh, pull guys back to eat lunch. And next time I think, well, I'll let, uh, I'll let uh, St. Martin here, he's a new guy, with the yards and I'll just take my interpreter and team leader and Carlos and we'll go up and we'll, we'll, you know, yeah. set up a little thing. So we're going up back up to the, uh, uh, where we planted the mine and there's a little bit of brush there and move the brush away. And as we're looking through the brush, there's four NVA security team that came along, saw the eight cleared spaces. No. <laughs> so, oh, something wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, they, no. they, they look at us we look at them we take a step back they take a step back step back step back no. we boogie three signal shots and then the race is on again <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway we had been in the in the target for like three days and had uh, drank most of our water and most of our sure. canned food so anyway we got chased for uh, three days and without food and water for three days and 90 Whoa. plus humid by the third, you know, I declared tactical emergency and got break contact, continue mission, as you've heard from oh, yes. several CCC guys. Anyway, after three days, we were done. Uh, my yards couldn't move anymore. St. Martin was out of it. Uh, Carlos and I were still functional. They had declared a prairie fire and uh, uh, just couldn't move anymore. And now we're surrounded. They're going around, you know, which is what they normally do sure. when they're chasing you. You know, as soon as you turn, you're going to get flanked uh, eventually. Or they try to lead you into an ambush. Or yeah, either either way, either way. So anyway, they're uh, going around the side of us, and uh, uh, I'm listening on the radio, and we're in contact. They know it's a prairie fire, and I'm monitoring uh, another team that uh, is in the next target area, Hotel Nine. I don't know if it was we were Hotel Nine. They were Juliet Nine, or vice versa. I think it was Hotel Nine. Anyway, I hear on the radio. Uh, uh, in contact, uh, casualties, uh, two straw hats, one KIA, one WIA, and two other WIA. Whoa. Said, so, holy shit. And a straw hat is? Americans, right. two Americans. So. That's a code for the radio. Right, right. So uh, anyway, uh, after they withdraw that team, they come to get us, and there's bad guys all around. And you're in contact all along. Yeah, and and... So we start, uh, I called in F-4s, and they were so close that they didn't really want to drop shit. So the F-4s would just fly treetop level and draw fire. And then we had gunships that would come in after the, after the uh, F-4s went by and then hit those targets. Anyway, choppers came in, and we loaded them up, and uh, Carlos and I were the last ones, and I'm sitting in the door, and we're heading out, and the M60 gunner's cranking away. We see fire coming from the tree line and I'm firing my car and uh, anyway we get out of there 
and they drop us at Leghorn, and I hear that... Uh, and Leghorn, just for our audience, is a radio relay site for a on top of a little mountaintop <laughs> that a helicopter can't even land on. It's going to put one of the struts down. Exactly. Everybody's got to get exactly. out, but be advised, because it's steep. Exactly. So anyway, we get there, and uh, I find out that uh, RT New York, after we put in, we're put in and run into so many people... They decide to put them in the next target and find out what was going on. So my real good buddy, uh, Jim Raponte, uh, oh. breaks into my room. Yeah. And he's, you know, he just got this on a moment's notice. Lieutenant. Yeah. So he, fellow lieutenant. Yeah. So he steals three packs of Marlboros out of my locker and leaves me two cans of sardines. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, I get to uh, Leghorn and I find out that he was the one who was killed. Oh. And... Uh, uh, anyway, we get back to Contum and uh, open his body bag and meet another guy who's a friend of his, Tim. I take the St. Christopher medal off his neck to send back to his parents. And uh, I drew his uh, rifle from S4. Feel going to get some revenge with it. Yeah. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, after that, uh, didn't know what to do with those sardines. Couldn't <laughs> throw them away. Couldn't eat them. No. I kept them the whole time. And came back, became a civilian, still had the damn sardines. <laughs> and no. uh, Yeah, yeah, for years. And oh. then uh, 1983, when they dedicated, whatever year it was, they dedicated the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. Oh, yeah, right, in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I went and I left the uh, sardines under. Under Jim's name. Yeah, under his panel. Wow. And uh, uh, the very first set of stuff, the Smithsonian came and picked up, like, Ten different items. Uh, sardines were one no. of them, and they had it in the Smithsonian. And uh, they uh, <laughs> there was a book about some things they left behind, or something like yes. that, where the sardines were mentioned in that too. No kidding. Anyway, that was the uh, 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 culmination of that mission. <laughs> and that was a hell of a mission he was Man. in. Yeah, yeah, he he was. They they got hit uh, unexpectedly, and. Uh, uh, Jim was shot in the chest, and his one one was uh, shot in the leg, I believe. Uh, two yards were hit, <clears throat> and their one two was a brand new guy who obviously had his hands full. Uh, but when he uh, treated Raponte, he had a hit in the chest. Treated him for a sucking chest wound. Took the bandage out of the wrapper, right. put the wrapper over the hole, and then yeah. the bandage. But he didn't bandage the exit wound. Oh. And uh, Raponte ended up uh, bleeding to death. Um, but Sergeant Montgomery, his team uh, was on bright light, and they rappelled in on top of them. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and got him out and got Raponte out. And Raponte's last words were, don't leave me here. And said, you're not. We're coming. And then uh, he died on the, on the way out. No kidding. So anyway... Uh, uh, that was that, and uh, not a good mission for my first uh, one zero. No. But anyway, uh, shortly after that, uh, my team got put on bright light. Give us a break, so to speak. Yeah, so explain again from, from Contoon's <laughs> perspective. The bright lights, they had a rotation at the launch site. But the, give us the launch site and a little bit more of that background. Yeah, uh, the launch site was uh, at Dock Toe, and the bright light team was on call 24-7. 
in the event a team got in trouble, like Rapontes did with New York, the bright light team would immediately get on a chopper, fly out there and repel in on top of them. If a chopper went down or a helicopter went down, the bright light team would go out and repel in on top of them. Not a not a fun fun no. job. You had a hope uh, that bright light was the worst of uh, all. Missions. It was it was without a doubt. And uh, anyway, uh, my team was pulling bright light. And uh, while we were on bright light, there were a couple recon teams in the field, but there was a slam operation going on called uh, Operation Nightcap. It was the very first covert mission to block the Ho Chi Minh Trail. This it, is 69. 19, March 69. They put a hatchet force company on a hilltop overlooking the trail. Uh, they were supposed to actually go down and interdict it, but for some reason uh, they thought there were too many bad guys around that it would be best to stay in a defensive position since they could cover the, the roadway with a 90 recoilless rifle. And uh, unfortunately, their uh, recoilless rifle gunner got hit first, second day, something like that. And uh, Colonel Lapp was in the uh, tower at Docto and uh, heard about that. They were uh, 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 exfiltrating the, uh, the, guy the, wounded. Who, the wounded guy who was hit. And uh, anyway, we were, it was uneventful sitting there until that time except the night before they had brought in a uh, KIA and they, there's like a ready shack underneath the tower and they brought this uh, KIA and I don't know whether he's an American or whether he was uh, Vietnamese or what, but he was wrapped in a poncho with just his boots sticking out and uh, it was a small room half the size of this. There were two bunks, one for the dead guy and one for me is the one zero waiting for any news from the tower. Oh so the night God. before, I'm laying there trying to sleep, and I hear this noise coming from the poncho. I said, what, what, what's going on? <laughs> I said, oh, wait and wait, and did I really hear that? And uh, I hear like noise again. And I'm about ready to freak out. And I said, no, it's got to be some... Rigor mortis setting it's, in? Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. We, the body was decomposing and making noises and stuff. Anyway, the next long story short, the next day, <laughs> dead body when, noises. Yeah, when, when Colonel Hap said, "Hey, you want to volunteer to take these guys?" Sure, sign me up <laughs> right away. <laughs> Get me the hell out of here. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, next chopper comes in. Uh, they send me out, and uh, I thought it was strange that nobody else out there knew how to knew how to fire ninety recoilers, but. Uh, it was too you late. Did. Huh? So you volunteered, you go out, yeah, and, that, yeah. and by that time, the hatchet force had been on the ground several days. Yeah, 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 exactly. And it taken a lot of fire. Yeah, and uh, they dropped me off there. And uh, unfortunately, a uh, day before, two days before, uh, one of the officers there, I don't know which one it was, called in an airstrike. Uh, they thought they had MVA outside the wire. And... Uh, Obviously, they knew where our position was, Yeah, but he didn't give them direction of approach. Oh, no. And F-4 came in. There's our perimeter. Came in. A canister hung up, and an napalm canister hit our perimeter, killed a half a dozen yards, fried them in their bunkers. Uh, so anyway, it was not a good start on, uh, on that mission. Anyway, got in there. 
and uh, so you got in. You're on the yeah, ground. Yeah, but I'm I, a, I got I my nine records rifle. <laughs> John Plaster's book. There's because you're just too modest. You won't tell us a really good part of the story. But John Plaster wrote in his book about the one zero you who got on the ground, and uh, so the lead truck was coming down, and so he is quoting the one zero who said, "In order to get the right trajectory." I had to stand on one of these bunkers. These are bunkers that were pre-built yeah. after the team had landed on the ground to combat the NBA coming at him. And I took aim and blasted that sucker. <laughs> I mean, that was your first <laughs> successful kill with a 90-millimeter yeah. recoilless on an NBA truck on the Ho Chi Minh Trail. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I'm, 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 I'm there. I'm, the, what was going on was every night, You'd have this massive mortar barrage, and these guys were good. The mortars were right on the bunkers. Wow. And then they had a 12.7 grazing fire right over the top of the perimeter. And then these bad guys would sneak up and throw grenades, and some of them would use small arms fire. And uh, most guys were in their bunker. But App told me, watch for trucks, and if you see a truck, shoot it. So I stood (laughs) up on top of the bunker. And I had seen blackout lights before on previous missions on trucks, right. you know, where they got a flange over the headlight yeah. and the light just shines down on the sure. road. So I'm standing there and I think, holy shit, that, that, that's a blackout light. It's moving. So I have my yard come up and he loads me up and get get all placed. And I, I fix it in the reticle, you know, there's yeah, a reticle yeah. sight. And if you can fit it right in the reticle, you can't miss. So I did and I didn't miss. And <laughs> boom, <laughs> it went up in a big flash and rolled down the road, and then uh, set up for the next one. And this is like 300 meters away. It's dark, so it's really wow, hard that's to a, tell. That's a long shot. Yeah, so the, but with a 90, you can't miss if it's in that reticle. It really? gives you the exact range. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the next truck, I fire at that, and I'm a little forward on it. I don't see the flash, but I think I hit right in front of it. And uh, next thing I know, the uh, platoon leader is yelling at me, cease fire, cease fire. You're in danger in a position. So, okay. So, uh, uh, so I'm going to get some M60s and we'll put them on the bunker. So what happened was the platoon leader had his bunker right in back of mine. Oh. And the back blast from a 90 recoilless <coughs> rifle is uh, pretty awesome. Oh. So I just oh, about yeah. fried him in his bunker. I think. <laughs> That was the problem. So instead of him moving, so you could continue to knock out trucks. Well, well, he he was in a bunker, you know. Anyway, <laughs> so he brings up three M60 machine guns, and he and myself and a Lieutenant Bramlett, who ended up being a Brigadier General in Alaska someplace. Anyway, we're firing these M60 machine guns at these uh, remaining trucks, yeah. and uh, there looks like there's guys running around too. So uh, uh, we're just smoking them up. I think I fired a and thousand. This is night. Yeah. So I think I fired a thousand rounds through the M60 before the barrel turned red and oh jammed, uh, as did the other guys. So we just smoked them tremendous. Uh, and uh, anyway. So in the morning, were they able to come back with the Air Force to knock out some more? Yeah, they I think, backed yeah, up on the trail? Yeah, there, there were six trucks all together. The usual six. Yeah, that's right. There was this whole, the, the full six trucks from that. Uh, the way they came down at that point. Yeah, exactly. And uh, smoked all six of them. And uh, anyway, uh, during the course of the night, uh, we had, you know, bad guys throwing grenades. Uh, Myself and a Sergeant Simpson, we were throwing grenades back at them. 
in the middle of the night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, <laughs> we had one, that I, I guess, from here to there. One landed in between us. And big bang, but no shrapnel. Uh, Chinese. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we were a little more accurate than they were, so that ceased. Um, then uh, the next you night— You mean more accurate with your frag, the American yeah, frag, frag grenades, grenades going back at the yeah, guys and throwing their Chinese grenades at you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think like one out of every five grenades we threw didn't go off. Really? Yeah, so that was that's something that we thought was uh, very, very strange. Taking them right out of the case, you know. So yeah. I don't know what the explanation was that, but that was. But uh, anyway, uh, later on, uh, I got put on uh, uh, LP duty. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know why they need LPs when they know there were bad yeah. guys all around. And so LP is a listening post. Yeah, listening post. So I'm out there with my yard, and I got a Claymore mine out there. So with this is still an op- yes. the same operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're going to put an LP out here. There's all kind of enemies surrounding yeah. us, attacking us at night. Yeah. Tom, go do an LP. Yes, exactly. So, oh, okay. okay. Just want to get the stage set out yeah. here. So I go out. I got the uh, Willie Peter grenade taped to the front yeah. of the Claymore. And me and my yard are sitting there for an hour or so. And I hear something. Yup, you hear something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Crank it. Boom! <laughs> Those lights every. I swore I thought I saw like a human figure in there, but yeah, you you know you couldn't tell. Anyway, you just popped it and then DD back to the uh, perimeter, and uh, uh, later I on ruined your night vision. Yeah, surely did. <laughs> anyway, uh, the following night, the uh, captain captain comes to see me, and the we're not getting mortared as much. Still intermittent, but we're getting grazing fire from the 12.7. And I think they're trying to fix the road during this time. Anyway, Captain comes, says, comes to me and says, we got to get rid of that 12.7. We won't be able to get out of here, you know, shoot down any other oh, yeah. that comes in. So he said, I'm going to go down the other end of the perimeter and I'm going to fire a full magazine and I'm going to draw his fire. When he shoots at me, you fire your M90 on his muzzle flash. Okay, it sounds like a good plan. <laughs> so that's yeah. what he does. He goes down, files a whole magazine, and sure enough, uh, the 12.7 returns his fire. I see it, put the uh, 90 on it, and popped them, and uh, even got secondary explosions. Get out. No, I think How I'm, far away was that shot? 300 meters, same mm-hmm. as the trucks, yeah. And But I think <laughs> they might have had mortar rounds stored there, too, because there were uh, secondaries. To get secondaries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a bonus. Oh, Absolutely. So anyway, uh, all this is going on, and uh, the you know the the, the common uh, theme as far as the hatchet force was there's too many bad guys out there to go down and interdict the road, and the recon guys who were there were saying no that's not the case we don't think you know there are bad guys wandering around right might be a half a dozen or a dozen of them, but we don't think it's any NVA battalion or anything, and uh, so anyway we're out of water at this point. So they tell uh, Lieutenant Redman, whose recon team was attached to them, I think it was RT Arizona, to go down to the river below and fill water bladders. What? Yeah. So Redman comes to me and says, hey, Tom, you know, we have to go do this. You want to come with me and be the uh, tail gunner for me? I said, sure. So uh, we get the yards, get all the water bladders and. We start going down to the uh, river, which is, you know, 150 meters down the hill. And we go there. 
unopposed, fill the water bladders up, come all the way what? back, unopposed, and uh, we had water. But uh, anyway, in uh, Operation uh, Nightcap, I probably one of the very few people who got to fire five infantry weapons in uh, one night. <laughs> My own rifle, uh, Claymore mine, hand grenades. Claymore mine with a Willie Peter. Yeah, Claymore, uh, hand grenades, M60 machine gun, and a 90 recoilless rifle. How many people could say they did that? Huh? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> so anyway, that's Operation Nightcap. Oh, my God. And uh, anyway, I get back and... Uh, uh, not back long, and they tell me I got another mission. Uh, they have to go s- see if we can find a uh, uh, another bivouac area. And in the interim, since I got back, I'm getting these tremendous headaches, just horrible, horrible headaches. And uh, I'm getting ready to go out. And I said, what am I going to do? Jeez, I, I get some aspirins or something. They don't really work. Right. I'm not going to go to Colonel App and say, Colonel, I have a headache. I can't go. <laughs> So anyway, we mount up, we head out, and uh, yeah. uh, we're heading towards the, uh, the the target area. And my head is killing me. It's like somebody hit me with an axe. So really, uh, yeah, horrible, horrible headache. And uh, going towards the uh, target area, and I, I'm lost. Lieutenants get lost, you know. So I call for a fix from a SPAF four, Pete Johnson. So he's he's flying by doing the uh, bingo thing, and. Uh, uh, as he flies over, at 12.7, opens up on him, just on the nearest hilltop, just about shoots him out of the sky. He calls me a dirty motherfucker. I'm not coming back. And <laughs> yeah. He beats feet. And so, <laughs> oh, shit. So anyway, this is a great target. They don't know I'm here. I put my guys online. We'll go up the hill and we'll knock that thing out and see if we can capture it. So I put my guys online and uh, I'm starting to sneak and peek, snoop and poop up the hill. Yeah. And my head is just splitting. All of a sudden, I start getting dizzy. Fall flat on my face. Go delirious. I have malaria. And I didn't realize it. So Carlos Parker drags me out of there. And uh, I don't know whether we made some sound or what, but uh, uh, they knew we were there. And uh, it was a question of getting the hell out of there at that point. And uh, I was so bad. I, I, I couldn't hardly walk. Couldn't carry my rucksack. And uh, I, I told Carlos, hey, you go up there and let me check something out. And I was going to take a position behind a log and figure out hold them off as long as I could. And Carlos comes back, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I, I was trying to give you guys some time. Hey, get the fuck out. What, what's the matter with you? He said, well, I'm, I'm sorry, Sarge. I can't, I can't hardly walk. I can't stand. I can't pull my rug. He, they, they get my shit and they carry it for me and pull me out of there. And uh, they finally find, not an LZ, but a place where uh, they can have a string extraction. So they drop right. the strings, and Carlos puts me in a harness and stuff, and uh, they finally yank us out of there. And I'm in really bad shape, but there's weather moving in and dangling underneath the chopper, 100 feet or whatever the hell it was, and it starts raining, wind, Ooh. and it's just terrible f- flying back and forth. Anyway, 45 minutes later, we landed Ben Het. And from the harnesses underneath your legs, you know, in strings, sure. nobody can move. No, you so, can't walk. So, the so, blood's cut off. So we're, we're, <clears> laying, 
on the airstrip. And here's these pilots with their 38s guard us. <laughs> and this is while Ben Hett's under siege in March of... Uh, no. Yeah, March of 69. Uh, so anyway, uh, guys come down from the camp in jeeps and they... So just so our audience hears, in the middle of the jungle, they couldn't land. They drop 150-foot ropes down. Yeah. Carlos hooks you in yeah. to save your life. Yeah. And while under enemy fire, lifts you out. Right. And then you fly in the rain with yeah. wind on beating upon your body. But you're like, it's painful, but it's happy pain. Yeah. You're glad to be alive. And then you land at Ben Hat, where the A camp yeah. is under a historic siege. Yeah. So they come down and get us. But uh, miraculously, all that rain and wind broke my fever. And I was just about semi-normal by then. So we're there for the night. Semi. Semi. <laughs> It's semi-normal when I started. Yeah, what's Waskovich normal? <laughs> the same the same as Meyer nor, yeah. normal, uh, as we know from that uh, Trentonesque uh, background Indeed. we came from. Yeah. Uh, not, not, not to digress, but uh, no. Hal, Hal Krosky, Fred Zabotowski, uh, you and me. Right, Mike Bayer, Bayard. And I think a guy by the name of Gordon were all from Trenton. Gordon, that's right. Six men from... Uh, Trenton, New Jersey, they're all served and solid. Of how, course, Fred Zabatowski was with you at CCC, how, earned the Medal of Honor. How, how, how bizarre. <clears throat> anyway, they, we leave Ben Hett the next day, go back yeah. to the I said, oh, I'm great. Go to the mess hall. Bam, just fall, pass out. <laughs> anyway, I'm in a dispensary for two weeks oh. with falciparum malaria. And uh, almost, yeah, almost died. Had, had uh, near-death experience and all that stuff. They packed me in ice like a fish. Uh, and uh, anyway, two weeks later, finally came out of it. And they, and that by that time, they had given Carlos the team, made him the 1-0. Yeah. And when I came out of it, then they made me a platoon leader, uh, hatchet force. And uh, how different that was, you know? I can't imagine. Oh, jeez, you know, you're, <laughs> you're snooping and pooping and running for your life at a recon with seven, eight guys, you know? Now all of a sudden you got fifty-five guys with tons of machine guns, and uh, you know it's a whole different world. But uh, um, extractions and infiltrations were a little bit more different. Yeah, yeah, for for, for sure, for sure. Oh but, my goodness! You know, uh, uh, one mission in particular, uh, Hatcher Force mission, uh, they put us on a, a target uh, on the Cambodia Laotian border, insert in Cambodia, and then okay, yeah, along that area. And again, looking for a base camp uh, in that area. So we're moving along. It's raining like crazy. And we hear bad guys. And we hear them all around us. So I said, oh, shit. And we, it's raining, so we're not going to get any air support. Right. So uh, we're going to be in shit city here real quick. Anyway, climb the nearest hill. We all dig in. And uh, well, we're sure we're going to get overrun that night. Um, so... Uh, it's not looking good, and I'm checking with all my American squad leaders, making sure fields of fire are laid in and bunkers are all dug. And uh, yeah, time to dig bunkers. Yeah, well, we had to. You know, we oh. thought we were going to get hit. Yeah, yeah. Not bunkers, really. Fo- reinforced right, foxholes. Yeah. So anyway, I call my uh, squad leaders to my uh, location. I just want to break the uh, tension a little bit and say, "Hey, guys, you know, it's Fourth of July," and. Uh, uh, too bad we can't celebrate, but this time next year, 4th of July, let's all get together in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, and uh, maybe we'll get there, maybe we'll work there for the summer, work on garbage trucks or something, just, you know, yeah. bullshitting around. 
one of the guys, Tony DeQuino, was from Paramus. Another one, John Grant, was from New York. So right. we're, so I went talking, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, finally sent it back to the location. We're expecting to get hit any minute. And uh, uh, all of a sudden, down in the valley, all these lights come on, like spotlights. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and then we hear helicopters coming in. And so what in the fuck is going on? And they weren't American helicopters. I, I don't know who they were. We we called them <clears throat> in later on, but uh, they no, couldn't confirm any American assets being out there. And anyway, shortly after that, everything's lit up for about an hour. The lights go off, and enemy leaves. What? Yeah, they just withdrew, and uh, and that was it. It was one of the most bizarre things that uh, I'd ever seen. And I reported that, and. Uh, Nobody never got back to me as to who they thought it was or what it was or, uh, Whoa. but definitely this not. This is all sixty nine. Yeah, this was uh, maybe April sixty nine. No, no, July fourth of sixty nine. July fourth. Okay. Yeah, and uh, uh, no reasonable explanation. Although I, I had read uh, afterwards, and I don't know if you're aware of it, but. The CIA were running similar missions as we were from the west. Further west. Yeah, from the west right. towards the trail, as we were running from the east towards the trail. Yeah, because if that's July, then it would be 10 months later you had Operation Tailwind. Yeah, that's right. Or 14 months. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, I don't know what that was all about. And uh, Another uh, mystery. Yeah, another mystery. Did and, it sound like American helicopters? No. Because we, no. we had a case up at uh, in the DMZ. Where a recon team was in, scheduled for exfil, calling in. They were on the ground for five days. And the radio operator goes, we'll have a helicopter pick you up in 45 minutes. King Bees will be heading north. And so the team got through the vegetation quicker than they thought. And they got, as they're approaching the LZ, they can hear a helicopter. And they get closer and the helicopter's just sitting there revving. And... The radio operator calls back and says, how far out are the King Bees? Oh, they're still 25 minutes <laughs> out. It was a Russian helicopter. Oh, get out. And they tried to pick oh, up the team. My. Oh, gee. So at some Bizarre. point. Yeah, yeah. So that, and of course, we had that time. We heard the Russians, the, the whole side of the mountain lit up, and the Russians did an aerial resupply. Oh. And that happened. We couldn't get any attack air or anything in the middle of the Jeez. night. Maybe that's what we saw that night. I don't know. Maybe. Could have been a resupply. Sometime. The NVA were hunting. You were hungry. And they went back and got the food. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't want us anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it was uh, it was very very strange. They were definitely That's not weird. our choppers. And uh, yeah, uh, so I have no explanation. Anyway, after uh, eight months in the field, four eight months on recon, and uh, four months on hatchet force, and how many purple hearts? None. 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 Hey, let me tell you, <laughs> I ran ten missions altogether. Yeah, and. Uh, Accomplished all my missions, and I brought all my men back. Indeed. So uh, I'm very proud that that was the uh, case, you know. And uh, I was very lucky, obviously. Uh, but again, even your last four months, you have some unique scenarios there <laughs> that kind of gives you a little bit of the flavor of SOG and working with our indigenous troops. So one of your duties was to go to Saigon. Yeah, my last— Well, what was your assignment? Take yeah, 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 I'm sorry. I, I went on uh, R&R <clears throat> in September— yeah, a couple of times Bangkok, and then uh, October, November, December, they rewarded me by making me the civilian personnel officer. 
Ooh. which is the guy who pays all the mercenaries. Troops, yeah, yeah, all the mercenaries. So, uh, and they also made me the escort officer for any bands that came in. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Did so Maggie come by? Yeah, yeah she did, but um, well, that's another story. I wasn't there at that time. <laughs> but anyway, it's a reward if you're a good officer, did a Indeed. good job. Yeah, yeah. CPL. So anyway, uh, you know, I'd go to Saigon uh, regularly, and I'd pick up a duffel bag full of piasters and MPC. And a duffel bag is like two feet long. Yeah, yeah, and greenbacks. And, and greenbacks. They say, here you go. I throw it on my shoulder. And go back to Contum. No, don't sign for no, no accounting whatsoever. And, oh, uh, my God. And it was usually right, you know, the money for the— Yeah. They knew how many troops were there, and uh, the greenbacks went to, the, went to uh, S2, and uh, the uh, MPC was for uh, S4 for any logistical stuff they had to buy. Anyway, the point is that, you know, it was uh, not too much accounting for CIA time. Well, and also at that time, to your credit, you had Colonel Fred, or Lieutenant Colonel at the time, Fred App. Oh, yeah. He was who was terrific. probably one of the premier camp commanders during the uh, eight-year secret war in the, the, during that time with SOG, and he would never, ever put up with anything like that. No, no, he was a great guy. Great commander. Absolutely. Anyway, well, an interesting uh, uh, mission while I was CPO there. I had some wound up mountain yards in uh, Play Coup. And the road from Contum to Play Coup oh, was kind of contested. But yeah. I, I, I got to pay these guys. It's my job, you know? So yeah, sure. I take the two Vietnamese in my office, uh, uh, Hi and uh, Ted, and uh, get a, uh, a Jeep. And, and you just thought they're ordinary Vietnamese. Yeah, they're my, right? they're my accountants in the yeah. civilian personnel. So I said, holy shit, I'm going to have one drive, and I'm going to have to protect these two guys if we run into shit. And I, you know, they got the rifles and everything, but what yeah. are they going to do? <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're riding along. Around. As it turns out, uh, High was on uh, Fred Zabatowski's team, and Ted was on Whoa. Dick Meadows' team. Really? So, so <laughs> I'm here a combat virgin compared to these two guys, and, yeah. and I'm thinking about protecting them, right? Right, um, and so just for our record here, Fred Zabatowski earned a Medal of Honor yes. in 68 with his recon team at the heroic rescue yes. effort, pulling men from burning helicopters. Dick Meadows still had the all-time record out of Contum, running recon for 13 POWs he captured with his recon team, right. which is nobody came close to that record, I don't right. think. At least in my limited knowledge. Yeah. So anyway, that's why these guys were working in the finance office. There was, there was a reward for them, you know, yeah, for doing a good job. Wounded. Yeah, but nobody told me this stuff, you know. <laughs> so anyway, that's uh, my military. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But you're able, so you're able to get through without getting ambushed? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we got through okay. and everything. Paid the troops, came back. But, hey, I'm worried, you know, I'm worried like crazy. <laughs> I'm going to defend these two little guys, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, you were in good hands. You just didn't realize it. Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, how did all of this start? How? I mean, first of all, you know, we got to talk about some of your heritage here. Your dad was a paratrooper at 82nd Airborne no. that jumped into Normandy. Uh, well, That's no, no. a little bit of an influence, or uh, he's with the 517th Regimental Parachute Combat Team. Oh, sorry, with his own separate unit. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, they were. Uh, I remember just he, he jumped. It's like, oh yeah, oh my yeah, God. He, yeah. He jumped into France. He's a didn't, saint. Didn't need a visa or anything. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny when I went to uh, Infantry OCS uh, the interview. Be, you know where they decide whether you're going to be able to go to OCS or not. Yeah. Um, you're supposed to have two years of college back then, and. I didn't At have least any, two. Yeah, I didn't have any college. And uh, like I said, I was only 18. Yeah. So th- th- they have a board that reviews all your paperwork and makes the final decision. It's like five officers, a major, and three captains, and a uh, lieutenant, maybe. So anyway, chairman looks at my son. What the hell are you doing here? I said, I think I can be a good officer. I think I could lead men. And he said, well, you don't have a degree, and you're 18. And what makes you think that you can do that? I said, well, uh, my dad parachuted into France in World War II. Nobody asked him how old he was. His brother, Steve, uh, was on uh, D-Day with the 4th Infantry Division. Nobody asked him, you know, what his education was. Uh, My other uncle, my dad's third brother, was uh, a sergeant in the Pacific. And uh, and nobody cared, you know. uh, Yeah. Uh, what his credentials were, and my other uncle Hugh was uh, an Army Air Corps, and nobody cared how old he was or if he went to college. And uh, I come from a patriotic family. I think I could serve. I think I can lead. I know I can lead. They all kind of looked at each other. Okay, <laughs> they. St- I went to OCS at eighteen. Is that, is, is that a pisser? <laughs> That's a good way to go. <laughs> Seriously. Uh-huh. <laughs> It was convincing argument. Yeah, you know, I just told him the truth. And uh, uh, anyway, you know, I was 18 years old. And uh, But so before us, you grew up in Trenton, New Jersey, yeah. St. Anthony's High School. But just a little bit about your history from your family there. And then when you said, someday I'm going to be like my dad or I'm going to go in the Army and jump out of planes like mm-hmm. Dad. and uh, That's exactly right. Okay. I, I joined to be a paratrooper. Sure. And just got a little uh, distracted along the way, ended up going to this OCS infantry thing. OCS thing, and then uh, <laughs> you know I did get to parachute school and did, and then uh, you know special forces officer, of course, when I was nineteen. Wow! And I think I had I had to be the youngest officer to run recon in uh, SOG. Without oh, absolutely! I had just I just turned twenty by like two months when I was on RT Wyoming. Yeah. So I don't think anybody anybody was younger than that, but. 
If they were, they can speak up and give us yeah, a call. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so when you're done in Vietnam, your special assignment, then you come back to the States, and then what happens there? How much more time in the military did you get out, or what was the story? No, I, I stayed in the reserves, uh, you know, like not for career purposes or retirement, just for a part-time job. You know, jobs weren't easy to come by back then. And, oh, yeah. And uh, so whenever I needed money, I— Go active reserves, uh, uh, 404th Civil Affairs Company and the 78th Division in Trenton. Up in Lawrence Township? Uh, no, when you, uh, right in, right in, uh, you 33 oh. in Trenton. Okay, yes, sir. So anyway, you know, if I didn't need the money, then I'd go inactive, you know, <laughs> so back and forth and back and forth. So you come back and you, when did you get out of the Army officially and then go into the reserves? What, the 70? Yeah, 70s, early 70s. And then well, you went, then you went to school. Well, yeah, I got I got out in uh, January of seventy. Okay, and then went to Mercer County College. Right. Two months later, February of seventy, uh, but then got into the reserves a couple of years later. Sure. And stayed for twenty five years in the reserves. Oh, that right? <laughs> not not for didn't get any benefits. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, You know, I retired from the reserves and a major. Indeed. Uh, uh, yeah, but you know, I couldn't go for the advanced course or any of that stuff, so I stuck at a major. But anyway. Uh, uh, it, was, it was strange, as you know, coming oh, yeah. back from Vietnam, going to college at that time. Uh, and then we finally connected in 70 at some point. That's right. Because it's like, well, hey, we're both in Vietnam. So we we contacted each other. And then we go, where'd you go? And then we found out where we were both assigned. You were at mm. CCC and I'm up north. We laughed. And then that oh. was it, man. We we hit a couple of pubs. Oh, yeah. And, and it was it was great because every few weeks we would be able to get together for uh, lunch at What's that place? Uh, Pete Lorenzo's yeah, Cafe. Pete Lorenzo's, yeah, yeah. In Trenton, in Trenton New Jersey. Trenton. And Tilt was a star newspaper reporter for the Trenton that. Times. Does anybody know that? <laughs> no. <we're>, sh- <laughs> <laughs> okay, we won't go there. Because you got a couple secrets I don't want to explore That's either, right. But, but we had, we did get together yeah. for top secret lunches, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, we had good so this, time. by the time we're doing that, that's 1975. Yeah. And to your immense credit, one of the things that you got into was setting up the uh, Met Vet, your vet center, vet I, vet vet work, vet work. Thank yeah. you. And when did all this begin? Because in the meantime, you did get married, yeah. and congratulations, you just celebrated your fiftieth anniversary with your sweetheart Fern. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you're married. You're having kids along the way. You're doing this reserves, and then up pops this idea you had, which you yeah. And I want to talk a little bit more about that because we often hear about. Stories that aren't successful. This is an amazing story with vet works. Yeah. Well, how'd that all begin? Uh, I, I, I ran for political office and uh, I was elected to board board of education. And uh, this is in Tom's River, uh, Lacey Township, Lacey Township, Ocean County. Right. And the next year, they asked me to run for the township committee, and I did, and uh, ended up as uh, mayor, and uh, ran for re-election when I was mayor, and was re-elected. And uh, anyway. Throughout this period of working with county government and local government, I made veterans' issues a priority, and I got to see how uh, there was a lot of money out there for many different groups, and uh, it wasn't any going to veterans. And I was active in the veterans' community, and I saw a lot of our guys with big-time problems uh, with uh, PTSD, and sure. PTSD-related issues, and there was nothing there to help them. Nothing. 
Not like today, where there's a million foundations and nonprofits. Right. There was nothing back then. So this is like the early 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So anyway, in the mid-80s, I'm on the Human Services Council with the county, and uh, I asked the county freeholders to do me a favor and put aside some money for a grant for PTSD counseling in the county. They said, okay, that's a great idea, Tom. And they hired two uh, psychologists to do this PTSD counseling. And I got a number of guys I know that are having difficulties that I send them to this thing, and I'm monitoring it for uh, like six months. And uh, it's obvious to me that it's not working. They're not being helped. And I'm watching it and studying it. And, uh, uh, and then it occurred to me that, you know, these guys are going in there and they've got serious PTSD. And they're anger. combat vets talking yeah. to shrinks that have never right. smelled yeah. gunpowder, yeah. let alone yeah. heard a shot yeah. fired in anger. And they were good, they were good clinicians, but uh, it was just not working. Uh, they had anger issues and uh, uh, many different issues. And I started looking at it, and, you know, a guy would come in, troubled veteran would come in, and he'd have PTSD, and he'd be drinking way too much to try and resolve those anger issues or whatever he had. And uh, a drunken, angry guy uh, was then having family issues because his wife doesn't want to put up with that, and his kids are being berated. And... uh, uh, Eventually, he gets to the point where it affects his job, and he loses his job. And uh, then he runs into problems with the police. And it dawned on me all of a sudden that you're not going to correct PTSD issues with just counseling. you got to correct all of those problems. you got to deal with all of those right. issues at the same time. So anyway, put in for a grant. I started a board of directors, all combat veterans from uh, three, four different wars, Vietnam, Korea, World War II and the Middle East, and uh, figure 12, 12 was a good number for a board of directors. <laughs> just kind of occurred to yeah. me. And uh, <laughs> I was the chairman of the board, and we were all non-paid. This is all volunteer work, and it was volunteer on my part. And uh, we wow. started this uh, operation called Vet Work, and I hired a guy by the name of Paul Kozak to be uh, our director. And uh, he was a Marine in Vietnam who was in a deuce and a half. He was a Lance Corporal. Ran over a mine and got blown out of the truck, covered with diesel fuel and burning diesel fuel. Spent, you know, they gave him that burn pack. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. They made him drink that. and He was gagging and stuff. Sent him to Japan. He was in the hospital for a year. And uh, when he got out, he was having his issues. Whenever he got nervous, he'd start choking like he did when they were making him drink the... uh... Anyway... I hired him to be a director, and I figured, you know, if this doesn't work and nothing else happens, at least I got a good job for one guy. <laughs> so yeah. it's going to be a win no matter what. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I started putting this thing together. And this is all based on Lacey County, New Jersey. Lacey Township, right? New Jersey. Outside of Tom's River. Yeah, I had the mayor there, so I got them to give me yeah. a house that they weren't using. And use your network a little yes, bit. Yes, absolutely. The- and uh, I got a house, and they let me put my offices there. I got a grant for over $100,000 from the county where I worked uh, to fund this thing and uh, started hiring different counselors. Had a a PTSD counselor, a family counselor, uh, an employment counselor, had a food bank, had a clothing bank, had a 
transportation. Uh, two cars so were donated. For a second. As you're putting this together, yeah. when did your breakfast start? My who? Breakfast. You had breakfast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, you begin these yeah. breakfasts where yeah. VFW, yeah. DAV, American Legion, they all come together. Yeah. yeah, I knew I had all these pieces I had to put together. I knew I needed transportation, so a local bank donated a car. I had the money for salaries. I had the, uh, I had a need for a food bank. So uh, initially, I went to the, uh, all the veterans posts around Legion, you know, yeah, DAV, yeah. VFW, uh, Jewish War veterans, all of them. And I think we had like thirteen of them in our county, and they were never really too active in helping people, you know. Right. So anyway, I put out the word that I I needed some food for this food bank, and somebody stopped by and dropped off a couple cans. So anyway, I decided I had to have, I'd have a, a, an award breakfast, and I paid for this breakfast and invited all these posts, and I called, <laughs> Commander Jones, you helped our food pantry tremendously. I, I didn't mention it was only three cans. Here's your certificate. Wow, I got a certificate to take a picture. Anyway, I ended up with so much food for that food pantry, <laughs> more than we would ever need or ever use, and I got seriously handed to these guys once they knew yeah. what we were doing. And uh, how it was helping, they just tripped over themselves. But again, you used those highly honed <laughs> leadership skills. Hey, you know, to put this all together. You know, when you're 18 years old and very impressionable, and they send you the infantry host, he has to be a leader. It's got to rub off, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, you know, a trouble guy walks in the door, and uh, his family's in trouble. He's not working. Um, Got food we can give them. Sure. Uh, sign them up immediately. The first, very first thing is to get rid of the alcohol or drug issues. And we had a very good VA clinic, I think in Dover, Delaware, someplace. I can't remember exactly where. That was the first thing we do was send them there and get them clean. And when a guy came in the door, the very first thing we said is, you got to want to be helped. You're doing this. You screwed up this. You screwed up that. You screwed up that. You're a fucking screw up. Yeah. Do you want to get back to normal? And we'd have an in-depth discussion with him. And he'd say, yeah, yeah, I want to. And when they got, we got that commitment, then we'd go all out. And once we got the uh, uh, alcohol, drug abuse squared away, then he'd come back and immediately start with PTSD counseling and family counseling. And if the job, it was employment counseling and hitting all these different issues. If his family needed food, you know, we uh, sure he got the food bank. We also had another guy who uh, was uh, our veterans uh, uh, service officer from the DAV who came in and worked there uh, three hours a day. So when a guy came in with all these issues, the very first thing we did was have him sign up for VA benefits for uh, PTSD or whatever the hell it was. So we get some money coming in. And, uh, uh, and if he had to go to the VA in Newark, then we had transportation. We were able, we were able to do that. That's pulling all this together out of out of thin air. Yeah, well, I, I, like I said, yeah. I'm a stupid. I saw what was going on. I saw the problem, and I saw yeah. the way you, way you fix it. And it was just a case of getting everybody else to buy into it and to be helping with it. And uh, that's exactly, you know, what happened. And uh, um, I'm sure there's parts I'm forgetting, too, that uh, had... Uh, uh, an impact, but well, but you also in, in your extreme modesty here, you were mayor for yeah. how many terms? Just just two years. Just two. Yeah, just two terms. But yeah. then your mayor 
while raising a family of five yourself four. you four four oh, okay well, I thought... my, my father-in-law was there too so it's okay five. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you're raising this family and doing all this with the with vet works well you know some people have golf for a hobby yeah you know, this was my hobby you know and uh and the, I was doing something good with it. And, and you kept records for how many vets you worked along yeah, the way? For, I, I stayed there as the, the chairman of the board of directors <clears throat> for uh, 20 years. After 20 years, I figured that was enough. Let somebody else uh, take over and help 10,000 veterans over that period of time. We actually went 10, to 10,000. And many of those, I can tell you, uh, would, not have, would not be alive if we didn't intervene. Many, many families would have been gone if it was not for yeah. uh, our intervention there. And uh, we were just very, uh, very lucky to have everything working with us at that time to help solve these issues. The only one problem I had, the one piece I couldn't get together, was we had uh, homeless guys, a number of homeless guys, and... Uh, didn't really have the money to put them in a hotel. Even the cheap hotels, $25, $30 a night, uh, just was, there was nothing budgeted for that. Uh, and I had one guy living out in the woods uh, who the cops picked up. I think I told you we had Vietnam cops. Yeah, yeah. He's wandering around out in the woods out by 537. Do you remember oh, that Of course, is? yeah. Yeah, so anyway, the cops picked him up, and he doesn't remember anything, doesn't want to talk about anything, just says he's a veteran and that uh, communists are trying to kill him, that they're dropping bombs on him, and they're jumping out and trying to shoot him with shotguns. and bomb. So they drop him off at uh, vet work. And uh, he's incommunicative. It seems like he's out of it. And uh, he's talking to my director there, Paul, and he sees a Special Forces plaque on the wall, which was mine that I had there. Yeah. He's there, I was in Special Forces. And he won't say more. So Paul calls me, and I come over, and... I walk in and say, I heard you understand. And he just opens up like I'm a special forces officer and he yeah. Yeah, got to answer all my questions. And uh, uh, anyway, he doesn't have any records, no documents. And I said, well, where'd you serve? He said, well, I serve with a Mike Force, blah, blah, blah. Uh, who's some of the guys you serve with? He mentions a couple names and he mentions Ben Lyons. No. Oh, so I, Ben Lyons, yeah, I know him. So I give him a call and uh, I say, I got this guy. I won't give sure. you his name. But he said, oh, yeah, I know. And he was there uh, like three tours. He was in so much shit. He like six bronze stars for Valor. And uh, No uh, kidding. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 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 he said, oh, yeah, I know him very well. And they made him finally uh, get out. Well, I explained to him. I got him in my office. He doesn't have any paperwork, doesn't have any shit. Uh, he went, sent him to the VA. They sent him back because he doesn't have any right. proof. So Lyons gets on a phone with all the other teammates who were involved with this guy, and within days, I have copies of orders with this guy's name on it, you know. With, really? Yeah, with all the other names. Yeah, yeah. So enough to put a package together and uh, call my local uh, congressman, and he runs it through. Anyway, long story short, he ends up with 100% disability and uh, squared away. As it turns out, where he was living out in the woods was the uh, Air National Guard bombing range. Oh, my God. And that's who was trying to kill him. <laughs> and a few <clears throat> miles down from there was a, a, a shotgun range. Right. So he was telling the truth. He wasn't nuts that, you know, he thought people were trying to kill him. 
Anyway, that was one story where that's uh, a hell of a story, and and there are many, many, many uh, like it. And just for uh, the background, I mean, Ben Lyons ran recon out of CCS, yeah, and he was in our fraternal organization, the Special Operations okay. Association. Well, I don't know if you met him through that or the no. SFA, but anyway, you knew him, yeah. connected with him, mm-hmm. and uh, that's just an incredible one story of all. And he wasn't fifty one fifty; he was indeed being bombed. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> But anyway, in get, New Jersey, yeah, getting <laughs> getting back to the uh, the homeless yes. uh, issue. Uh, as it turns out, and you know where Barnegat, you remember where Barnegat Light was? Of course, real fancy schmancy yeah. tip of the island. Well, they had a Coast Guard station there. They did, yeah. And the Coast Guard decided they weren't going to use it anymore, and they were putting up for the public's use. And um, uh, the priority was veterans organizations. I put in for it as did the municipality of Barnegat Light, who wanted to use it for a municipal building. Ooh. Long story short, they awarded it to me, to vet work. <laughs> they went bullshit. They were very unhappy. So they call me to a township meeting there, and they find out I'm going to use it for homeless veterans, Ooh. and they go bullshit. <laughs> Every person in the town was at that meeting. Hundreds really? of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, they started cranking. We spent many summers down there at Barney. Oh, Glenn. did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you so know what I'm talking about. Oh, then. I, yeah. I was Bon Jovi has a house there, and uh, <laughs> I don't know who else. Anyway, <laughs> they're really, they they want to take me out and tar and feather me, you know? Indeed. And, you know, they say, oh, well, how are you going to, it needs all kinds of renovations. How are you going to pay for this? Oh, I said, well, there are a couple different veteran motorcycle groups. We're going to have a rally down here. <laughs> <laughs> We're calling the Hells Angels. Yeah. <laughs> I said, we got, we got all kinds of stuff we can do to have rallies now. And they went berserk. Uh, extra ballistic. They, they, they tried to get me fired in my job. And anyway, uh, it, as it turns out, they're telling me, you know, it's going to take a, a year and a million dollars to renovate it. And you're not going to be able to get that done for years. And I said, well, we'll hold fundraisers down here. We'll be here all the time. We, we got to get these homeless veterans. Anyway, uh, a few days later, township attorney calls me. Said, hey Tom, yeah, it's going to take you years to get this done. You got to raise millions of dollars to get it done. How many homeless veterans can you house for twenty five thousand dollars at twenty five dollars a night? I said, geez, quite a bit. He said, well, how about we cut you a check and you sign off and municipality take it over? I said, you know, I can house a lot for twenty five thousand, but I could house a lot more for fifty thousand. He said. Done. Semi-checked <laughs> for vet work. They have wanted posters for me out out for me on the light. Yeah. Anyway, long story. We got fifty grand that we use specifically for, for housing homeless veterans. You know, we hit we. I can't remember the name of the motels there in Casey, yeah. but twenty five dollars a night. You know, and uh, put a guy in a motel for two weeks until he gets squared away, and uh, that was enough money, and then some additional money from that to last for years. So that was the one one. One thing we uh, wow. couldn't get done that we finally did get done. So, uh, so twenty five thousand. Let's make it fifty, and sure <laughs> enough, all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, they went for it. And there was news. I've heard about rolling yeah. the dice, oh. but this is. Oh, and there was, you know, articles in the newspapers down there, Long Beach Island. Oh, sure. Wisco, which is extorting the town. <laughs> yeah, it was, but I wasn't going to admit that, you know. Yeah. Oh, jeez. One uh, man's extortion yeah, is another veteran's help. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Uh, We're not talking Al Capone here. 
So anyway, after 20 years, uh, like I said, uh, we had 10, 000, over 10,000 veteran clients during that time. Wow. And a lot of them were, you know, just I need a ride to the VA. Or yeah, I and need- again, to put that in context, I remember being there when it's all started. And then after I left for another state that I don't even want to mention that I ever visited, that um, you really brought that around. And at a time when true down-to-earth veteran services that like your approach at VetWorks was all the different issues. Right. PTSD and right. family and other right. counseling as right. well as you had a clothing bank there. Right. Food bank. So food yeah. bank, clothing and Transpor- things like that. Transportation. And, 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 and very importantly, put them in for VA benefits when they walked in yeah. the door. So we hit all those things and and uh, I think we were probably 80% successful in uh, treating, you know, these uh, trouble guys. Just being now, able to find a good VSO right. who knows the VA and, more importantly, can work with the VA right. and get the paperwork in for the vet yeah. and this, in an expedited fashion. And that was one of the most important things, hiring this guy, Paul Kozak, I told you about. Oh, sure. He <laughs> he knew firsthand, and he had a, he had a big heart. And he would uh, talk to these guys any time, day day or night. And they could tell, you know, dealing with them, that he was uh, sincere, he was on their side, and he'd uh, do whatever he had to do uh, to get things done to help them. And that's another thing that we did, too, and and made it a point of. Once we got all the stuff done, all the stuff in place, we didn't forget about him. We'd follow up in six months. Hey. Combo check. Yeah, you're still doing all right. You're still doing this. You're still doing that. And uh, there were backsliders. So by doing that, we picked them up and, and kept them going. Now the VA, you go in there with PTSD, they put you in some counseling, they give you half a dozen pills to take, and that's it. Ooh. And that's why you're seeing so many suicides, I think, and so many uh, uh, bad uh, responses. Uh, with us, we cared. Yeah, yeah. We'd get involved, and you'd hear from us. And... Uh, uh, that made it all wasn't the a nine to five job. No, it made all well, the difference. Well, and also the other context here is at that time, particularly in 1970 and the early 80s, the VA care was not what it was is today. And right. Some, like there are some cities, like in San Diego, where I worked before on veterans committees, there was some improvements. But in 1971, I went to the VA in Newark, no. and they were insulted that oh. I was there asking them for services. Unbelievable. I thought that. That's why it was so bad. Newark was the main VA place. Sure, horrible. And, and it was just absolutely horrible. And then, you know, at the time, the GI Bill, you had $200 a month, whether you went to Harvard University or yeah. Mercer County Community College. <laughs> you got $200 a month. <laughs> That's why I went to Mercer County yeah, Community yeah. College. <laughs> That's why I went to Trans State. <laughs> you and I, man, we're on tight hey, budget. Hey, you got that straight, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and so also, in fairness, as you come to the end of that 20-year tour of duty, you transitioned out, and you also came, got elected to the board of directors for the Special Operations Association. Yeah, that's right. I forgot you about that. You came in there. We were on there together. That's right. And right. the uh, and when you came on the board, you got elected quickly because of your leadership. Guys knew who you were, but also you were still working with with the event works. Right. And then after a year and a half or so, you said, "Hey, I've got to go back because the transition is not done yet." And so here you are on the board of directors, and you still went back and got to the point where then that vet works went on for another 20-plus years. It's still operating today. Absolutely. And uh, the point you mentioned, our our guys are so freaking hard-headed. 
uh, <laughs> if anybody, anybody ever deserved PTSD benefits and yeah. things that went with it, it's our guys. And some are, our guys are such shit for brains that just refuse to do it. I'm too tough. I don't need that. I don't need that. Well, you're a dumbass because there are, are guys who fell off the back of a truck that are getting $600 a month that you're not. Yeah. And uh, uh, I go through a whole long story about how I ended up, but I don't want to bore you. But about what? About how I ended up with oh. uh, P- <laughs> PTSD. But I don't want to bore you. Just, That's not boring, Tommy. Well, I just threatened to throw a guy out, out the window, but. That's another story. <laughs> anyway, the point is I got at least a half a dozen of our guys to put in for shit. And yeah. now they're they're benefiting from that. So Indeed. So as you head down the trail here now, you do the time of special ops, vet works, you transition out, and then yeah. you went into like being working with being a granddad. Oh yeah. Yeah, jeez. My oldest grandson uh, joined the Marines. He's in the yeah. Marine Corps, 29 Palms. And my second oldest grandson is uh, in basic training right now. Next week I go to graduation at Fort Jackson. Wow. He's uh, going to combat medic school and then uh, airborne and then special forces. So uh, uh, good troop. And Will, who you know, Indeed. he's in uh, uh, Navy ROTC. He wants to be a Naval officer and... Uh, Lives up there in Dutch Neck, New Jersey. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, <laughs> a couple other grandsons. One wants to go to the Air Force Academy. Another one wants to go to Special Forces. So they're all lined up, ready to. So from you know, your four children, you now have fifteen grandchildren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, they uh, they're great though. You know? Oh yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and you still keep your fingers in the political pies a yeah, little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Keep an yeah. eye on things and yeah, yeah. Mike dress issues. Mike Waltz is a pretty good guy, as you know. Yeah, district Six in Florida. Yeah, he's, that's my district. The first Green Beret elected yeah. to Congress. Yeah, and, uh, he's done a hell of a job. Yeah, I'm one of the first people he met with down there. No. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, tell me more. Yeah. Well, uh, originally, uh, I guess the year before, I was thinking of running for that seat. And no kidding. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when DeSantis pulled out, uh, uh, Rubio was going to run for president. But right. anyway, Rubio went back, so DeSantis went back. And uh, anyway, I decided not to do it, so I had, had my head examined. But Waltz, <laughs> I guess, did have his head examined and decided he was going to do it. So he called me, and we met at a local uh, restaurant no there. No kidding. Yeah, and had... Yeah, had lunch and he gave me one copy of one of his books and sure told me what it was soldier doing. diplomat. Yeah, and, great book. Yeah, and I said, well, geez, anything I can do to help, I'd be more than glad to do it. And uh, uh, was active in his uh, first campaign. I was on his campaign committee. And, yeah, uh, he uh, had a tough primary that year and a uh, tough election, but he won both. Now he's running unopposed. He's, oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, just a libertarian, uh, no Democratic candidate. Wow. So he's doing well, and you see him all the time on the on the news and uh, uh, speaking on major issues, Afghanistan. And, uh, well, get some clear thinking yeah, out of absolutely. Congress for a change, absolutely. as opposed to a lot of the other things that we're seeing that we, oh, Lord help us. So anyway, uh, just... Uh, Keep him busy with uh, that. If I run into a, a veteran who needs any assistance or whatever, I'll, I'll get involved that way. But no, sure. no more organizations. I'm, I'm well, retired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're a little over seventy now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a young seventy. <laughs> yeah. And we buried a lot of our friends that didn't get to the seventies. Oh, ain't that the truth? Yeah. It's kind of like boy. like you and I were talking this morning coming back from the airport. It's kind of like. Uh, we never thought to see we'd be seeing our twenty second or our twenty third birthday. Oh, absolutely! Jeez. So anything that we have 
today is like it's gravy. It's extra. Absolutely, absolutely. Never expected to go past twenty-one. You know, here we are, seventy-three, yeah. and geez, going strong, huh? Indeed, yeah. Can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> Not from this side. So it looks like we're getting to that point in the interview where. Um, is there something else you want to go back to or maybe something we may have skipped over or in the life of Thomas R. Waskovich, the first, the one and the only, uh, there might be anything else we want to go back on. We're here now at that point, sir. Okay. I think that, uh, you know, I told you about all the good stuff and everything. Yeah. I, I should probably mention my one dumbass moment, you know, <laughs> and I think it happens to everybody. They just don't oh, talk yeah. about it. Some of us, most of us don't. Yeah, but... But you did. Yeah. Your dumbass yeah. moment was... <laughs> <laughs> and Fern turn the machine off. <laughs> no, that's no, that's other dumbass moment. Anyway, uh, we uh, got this mission to uh, try and find a NVA bivouac area, and uh, anyway, we were moving towards it. We had a civilian following us, and uh, uh, we grabbed civilian. Him. Yeah, well, suppose it's civilian. Yeah, right. Uh, in Laos. No, no. This was this was a local mission for Play Coup. Oh. For the Fourth Infantry Division. We did run a couple of locals. And uh, anyway, uh my yards want to kill him, want to torture him, kill him. Of course. Him. The yards hate Vietnamese. Yeah, and uh my American squad leaders didn't <clears throat> seem to object too much to that. <laughs> anyway, I decided no, that's not a good thing to do. If somebody had to cut his throat, it'd have to be me, and I don't want to have that rest right. of my life. And that's another un- un- unspoken thing of for uh, SOG. I think there were a lot of teams who ran into civilians and who had the choice of offing them, cutting their throat, or letting them go. And uh, as we just saw with the Navy SEAL in Afghanistan, they let them go and they came back with all his friends and uh, sure. killed them. So anyway, that's an unspoken situation where many of our guys had to deal with. When I encountered it, I decided that I would uh, bound and gag him and take him along till my mission was completed and then let sure. him go. That's what I did. That's the smart thing. Uh, absolutely. And I think that's something maybe our current guys should be aware of if they're ever in that situation. Well, it's another they example have, of lessons learned not exactly. being passed Ex- along that's for the next why, generation. That's why I'm mentioning it. You don't have two choices to cut his throat. Or let him go. There's a third choice. Yeah. Bound, blindfold him, gag him, take him along. Complete your mission, then let him go. Anyway, uh, that's not the point I was getting yeah, to. Yeah, but the, the dumbass, dumbass point moment. was. So anyway, we uh, get all this intelligence from him, and we know the location of the bad guys, so they call an arc light. Arc light, yeah. which is a B-52 strike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they send uh, me in. For a BDA. BDA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so a BDA for our viewers is a bomb damage assessment right. after a B-52 strike. Right. Okay, then take it fair. Right, right. And, of course, and our brass in the Air Force always told us a BDA is a good mission. <laughs> because after we bomb, they're going to be all dead or knocked out, and they're, they're just, you just walk in, take some pictures, and come back. Well, there's a certain amount of... And the of, truth of the matter is... <laughs> well, there's a certain amount of logic to that, because you go in and everything... It's just splinters everywhere oh, yeah. and dead meat hanging off trees. And anyway, we're going through, and I see this hole like this. Holy shit, it's a tunnel entrance. These bastards went, went a tunnel. So <laughs> I go up there. I got a grenade. I'm going to pull a pin and throw it down a tunnel. I'm just ready to do it. And when Vietnamese comes on, way, no do, no do. So what do you mean no do? He said, you know, plane fly sky. 
Yeah. Drop bomb. Yeah. Bomb hits ground. No, go off. I'm about ready to throw a grenade on a 500-pound bomb. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be here doing this interview, but that wasn't the case. So anyway, that was my dumbass movement. I... And again, but the, the good news is it's a classic example of you working with your indigenous troops. Oh, absolutely. Who uh, we've, uh, with the special forces in general, today, yesterday, our day, that's the difference with SF, but we work with local folks. Oh, yeah. And there's that reciprocity of respect, and not to mention the fact that they were willing to put the lines on the line for us. Oh, absolutely. And they, they, they one, one mission. Again, a local. Yeah, yeah. And I see my yards. They're picking these little green berries off the tree uh-huh. and putting it in her hat. And uh, I said, hey, Crook, what are you doing? He's all oh, very num- uh, number number one, chop, chop. So I try, yeah. And he gives them to me and put a handful on it. They're uh, wild hot peppers. I just about choked and <laughs> gagged. I'm rolling around the ground. They're rolling the ground laughing, just about pissing themselves. They thought it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point is you can't trust the little devil sometimes yeah. too you know oh yeah but you know before we get out of here I want to return because again you epitomize the SF modesty problem which is in conducting these interviews I run into this all the time so your first mission with the Operation Nightcap where you've been on the ground for those days and you said that when you left there was some enemy fire so and you were under fire. But I want to put this into a little bit more broader context with yeah. the John Plaster Secret Commandos book. Yeah. Because he, he talked about this after you were, were taken out. And uh, uh, for three days, not one truck got past him, meaning you. Then for three weeks, the hatchet force held the hilltop, rotating companies twice until holding it became untenable. At one point, so many NVA were in the open that Cubby Rider, Luke Dove, was shooting at them from the open window of an O2 Ford air control plane flown by Captain Al Rose. That indicates how hot that was. And by the time, three weeks later, they had so many people. And that just... I'm sorry, I'd just like to have the, yeah, the well, modesty thing here is just how severe that contact was. It was the intersection of Route 96 and 110, which were high-speed areas for the uh, bad guys, you know. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, anyway, it was pretty neat to be on the very first mission to block the Ho Chi Minh Trail. That's pretty historic. It's, it know? is, and uh, the Ho Chi Minh Trail was the main supply route for supplies coming from North Vietnam, down south, and they would go at those... Uh, bin trams or bin loms? Bin trams, I think. Bin trams. Yeah. So every 20 miles by yeah. 69, these things were yeah. getting developed. Yes. And they knew that the Air Force or we would have airstrikes on them. Yeah. And so they six, they minimized. Right. And how, they had those parks. How come none of our guys knew about this bin tram business back back in the day? I guess they were just trying to figure it out back then. Maybe they not. may have. That's yeah. like I know. We knew that they had truck supplies, but right. we never told like every 20 miles. Right, right. These are right. things we all read many years later, right. or in your case, right. we, you're we, the first guy to document, yeah, hey, we, we got one yeah. with pictures. Yeah. Amazing. And, and uh, anyway, you learn a lot afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's for sure. <laughs> so any, any last thoughts before we officially close out, Tom? 
No, other than it's uh, really terrific to see you, buddy. You know, Likewise. It's been a couple years of days. Old, spent a lot of time together in high school and uh, lost track. Yes. And then uh, doing the same uh, deal. And, and staying uh, in contact over time because absolutely. there'd be times you need some help or I could call yeah. you and say, hey, I got a friend of mine yeah. down in South Jersey. Absolutely. I know we did that a few times before I moved to California. Absolutely. Had some terrific lunches downtown. Oh, absolutely. Chattanooga. Well, that too. <laughs> and then we helped, uh, we helped to lower the... Amount of beer and a couple of bars in Trenton too along the <laughs> way in the early chat days. Lounge, that's yeah, right. We, yeah. we won't go into that. No. Like we, <laughs> yes, we're staying out of jail on this uh -huh. one. All right. Well, <clears throat> we're at that point in time. We want to thank all the men and women in our armed services who have fought and bled for the country. We also want to thank Border Patrol, law enforcement, first responders, EMT, corrections officers. And yes, the people on the front lines at the hospitals over these last two years with the China virus. Again, we want to thank Jocko Willink for sponsoring the Sawcast interviews, productions, and flight costs. And we also uh, want to mention that we have for my personal website is www.sawchronicles. You can go to them for all of our other previous Sawcast, both the audio versions. And uh, Jocko's staff is putting up the YouTube versions. And um, we wanted to um, also say that we take the men and women who have served in the years past, heroes like Tom Waskovich. And we also remember and salute the men and women who didn't come back. On that note, God bless America. Thank Amen. you, Tom. Amen. Thank you. So thank you. I'm joined now by Tom, my top secret agent. We can't reveal his true identity at this time, but he's been our technician through many of our Sogcast interviews ever since Sogcast number one, which was so long ago. But <laughs> it's forever. <laughs> Indeed. And they are available. If you go to our website or just go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, they're all there. And, uh, and of course, with YouTube, we've posted the first segment. But Today, Thomas R. Wascovich, the first, the one and the only. Uh, Another great Tom. It's a great, good name. <laughs> I never thought about it. You guys can beat yeah, the Tom Tom. Exactly. <laughs> There's, I mean, like every guy's story that comes in from Saab, they have these stories. This, they're different. Yeah. They're unique. And yet, the sheer odds and the whole thing with malaria. Oh, yep. I got a headache. I'll go into the mission here and <laughs> fall on anyway. your face. On a, go, going up a hill. To attack a 12.7, 12, 12.7. 12. Right. Yeah, just another day in SOG. Just another day in SOG. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. So first I got to ask, so yeah. in high school, y'all were in high school together, right? And, well, different. He went to St. Anthony's High. I yeah, went to Trenton High. But who got the girl? He always did. He was handsome. All right. Yeah. All right. yeah. Just, I had to find out. He was, I knew that was a part of it. He was suave and debonair, <laughs> whereas me, I'm just the milkman's son, you know, <laughs> stumbling along. <laughs> but... uh yeah, it, I mean, the stories are, they're always, I mean, you know, every time I come here, it's, it's, sure. it's amazing just to sit and listen to all the stories. And every one of the Sogcasts, even if I'm not here, I definitely listen to them anyway, because I love the history of it and, and where you guys took something so new at the time and right. made it something completely insane, but at the same time, perfect. Like it was, it was the right blend. You guys were the right personalities, the right generation. I'll say that the right generation to fill the billet yeah. of what was to be and what was SOG. I mean, they couldn't have asked for, you know, a better group of guys because you, you can't get people to do 
the, the craziness of, of what that was. Now, it was a different all, era too. You know, we still grew up under the influence of World War II history. Yeah, but even and, then, you look at it and you're like, okay, <clears throat> so they rode around with tanks, you know, and yeah, they jumped in and they, you know, uh, obviously, I'm not putting it down by any means, but it's like you went the whole other realm. You went from okay, we're going to do this as a massive, huge front to all right. There's uh, two of you, and here's some here's some local guys. Yeah, um, you guys go do things. Yeah. you know, so it, go across it's always the fence. amazing. Yeah, it's it's what leads people to to doing and making decisions. You know, it, it it definitely it definitely was an influence on my life and and growing up reading and and listening to stories and now being post still part of it and being able to capture this history because it, it's the most important thing are these stories, these one offs. I mean. Sitting up on a hill, firing a you know a ninety millimeter recoilless rifle at trucks at night with no night optics and trying standing to standing on top know, of a bunker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you shoot at me while I'm standing up here knocking out your trucks? Oh no, was that a lieutenant or a captain that was in the bunker behind you? What's that? Lieutenant. A lieutenant. Oh well, that makes sense. All right, but first off, <clears throat> whose whose idea was it for him to put his bunker behind? The recoilless rifle and not realize that that's a bad idea. Yeah, you would think he would know, huh? Well, he's a lieutenant. We give them some exceptions. I mean, uh, there are some. And, you know, you bring up like Dick Meadows with uh, what oh was my it, 18, God. 13. 13. And, uh, you know, we could compare that. I think Dick Thompson's was 15, non captured. Yeah, right. <laughs> that he talked about. I mean, about we came close. We came yeah. really close to getting some. And of course, you know, the, the troll with the yeah. Sawcast 001. Yeah, with the female. They had a, a female POW. A female. And when they realized she was a, f- a female at 5,000 feet in a king bee, <laughs> she turned around and, and ran out the door. Yeah. And just jumped without a parachute. But, I mean, all you guys are brave. All you guys are heroes, uh, no matter what anybody wants to say. And, you know, I appreciate what you've done for Vietnam vets. My dad was a Vietnam vet um, or is a Vietnam vet who suffered from PTSD as well. Didn't get treatment until he actually got diagnosed in 2010. Really? 2010. So that many years have gone by, you know, and it just shows, um, you know, they, that war specifically really changed the way people saw, because after the war, everybody just forgot about those guys. And then all of a sudden, when the new war started, all those problems started coming up with the new soldiers. And then they realized, oh, that's what, so now we need to bring it back. So. You know, it, it's sad to say that we lose a lot of veterans to suicide. We lose a lot of veterans to homelessness and obviously drugs, alcohol and all that. But they're all trying to drown it, trying to hide it, you know, and they're trying to bury those feelings and do what you do in the military, which is, hey, drive on. Oh, you got hurt. You got malaria. Get out there. Yeah. Dick Thompson, you burned your hands. Hey, you got to go get that helicopter tomorrow. You know? Yeah, go get yeah, tomorrow. Helicopter. Like, um, OK, you know, so. <laughs> It shows you that that's the mentality is you don't give up. Yeah. You just keep pushing through and you don't ask for help. So the military does a great job of instilling that in people, that kind of work ethic. But at the same point, it's to a detriment. And a lot of guys, when they get out, can't get past that, that I can ask for help. Well, yeah, and I think that today that's one of the efforts, if nothing else, to really better address it, not only at the VA level, but with some of the nonprofits that are around, mm-hmm. like the Green Beret Foundation, are right. leading people to help. If they can't get it within the VA, there's other um, non-government groups or organizations that, like Tom said earlier, today there's a lot more than what 
was yeah. around when he put together VetWorks in the early 1980s. Yeah. There was just nothing there. Right. And particularly in New Jersey. And there was, that's true, I think, probably in most states in the country at the time. Yeah. And, and you, uh, I worked at a nonprofit in, California, in San Diego County that was started in 79. And then by the early 80s, they began to weave in some veteran services. But it was never the complete level that Tom was able to work up to with VetWorks. Right. But we had liaisons and stuff. But, you know, one thing at a time. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. It's always good. I love your stories. Well, and then the other thing, too, is that <laughs> uh, in talking about through the, the different missions and coming back, it's um, uh, we, the old grayheads, talk to today's guys and guys from the last generation, and we always tell them, hey, you know, you, you stepped on our shoulders and you take it to the next level. Right. And uh, we never feel as though we appreciate what people say and, like, your gratitude. But on the other hand, the guys that served these last 20 years, there's been some great yeah. service there, and there's been a price paid for it. Definitely. And that's, that's the thing. And if you're out there, um, you know, people say it to veterans all the time, thank you for your service. And I'll say this, if you see a wife or a family um, who has someone who served and may have given the ultimate sacrifice or given partial that, if you go up to them, you thank them because the families are the ones that suffer. Oh, yeah. The, the families are the ones who didn't come back. The families are the ones who came back with, you know, some disabilities or stuff like that. You need to thank the family as well, not just the guy who served because his wife or his or her husband and their children sacrificed right along with him or her. They sacrificed right there with him. So if they were married when they went overseas, that that wife put, she put everything on her shoulders. Well, even today, I mean, we've had group functions with 3rd, 5th, and uh, one other 10th Special Forces group where I've been involved with the vets over the last couple, Special Forces. Mm -hmm. And each and every time today, it's we thank you guys, but family, wives, and the, the whole family side of it is much better. Yep. And working to improve that forever. So Definitely. Another benefit from all that. Yeah. And um, um, I guess one other benefit was from our year, Vietnam vets came home. They weren't welcome due to the, all the political nonsense yep. that were from the left at the time. And from that, today's soldiers or sailor, any veteran that comes home, it's separated. Yep. We don't have that hostility towards the vets, so that's another benefit. It's always a good thing. Indeed. Anything else, sir? Because no. I know you got to get back to work. Yeah, I just know that if I... If Put I away your a, top secret hat. <laughs> if I have a bivouac site, I'm just hoping Tom's not coming after me because it seemed like the most you did there was go after bivouac sites. He did a whole lot of bivouac. <laughs> it was a lot of bivouac site looking. <laughs> Every one of those started off with, we sent on a mission to find a bivouac site. Or a truck park. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. These people have bivouac sites everywhere. And they have 150, <laughs> we have at least 150 people assigned there. Yeah. And, you, and you tried to play Rambo by blowing up a uh, a bomb. So good job. <laughs> you didn't have a claymore, you had a hand grenade, but uh, it was still going to end in the same way. But I do like, uh, the only thing I'll say is uh, the, the claymore mine, the ingenuity you had to place something else in front of that claymore mine. White and, phosphorus. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah, we did it once. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure somebody else in this room got yelled at for something with with a white phosphorus grenade. We won't bring up names. We won't talk about that we right won't now. Talk about that person. So at this point in time, you got to get back to <laughs> yes. work, and uh, we want to again thank all the men and women in our armed services who have fought and bled for the country. 
As always, we thank Border Patrol, law enforcement, first responders, EMT, even our corrections officers, and the hospital people that have been dealing with this virus for the last two years. As always, we thank Jocko Willing for sponsoring the SOGCAST interviews, our production of flights and costs. And we have different websites that we can go to to, to back this up. Please go to, you can just Google Jocko Willing for his products. You can Google SOGCAST, they'll pop up now. And uh, we're grateful for getting our stories out, and we've had a great response. Uh, even the SOGCAST number one has had over 155,000 views. And so please share our stories. And then last but not least, we thank the men and women who have served our countries in past years, men like Tom Moskowitz. We thank Tom. We thank him for coming here today. And as always, we close out. We remember and salute the men and women who did not make it back. And as of today, there were 1,584 Americans still listed as missing in action in Southeast Asia from the Vietnam War which includes 50 Green Berets from the Secret War, still listed as missing in action. One day we're going to bring in a family member to talk about what it was like to not know about their relative. And we also have eight, at least 83 aviators who we documented who died supporting our SOG men on the ground. God bless America. Till next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.